Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is going to be a great day today. Uh, We are in our series, uh, Cultural Quicksand. And uh, as I like to tell you weekly, I'm going to say, make statements that sometimes you may feel a little funny about them um, because maybe we've been in the culture out there too long. But I would just tell you humbly and honestly, if you disagree with me on anything, hey, you know what? Just give me the scriptures. Send them to me and I'll gladly study them. Uh, As if you're a follower of Christ, send me the scriptures. If you're not a follower of Christ and you disagree with some of the things I'm going to say here, I would just say, you can still come to church here. You can still come every week. We're not enemies. You know, we're all grown-ups. We don't have to agree on everything. But I would just ask you to just think about it, okay? Just think about the things that I'm going to be sharing. Now, today I'm going to talk on a topic that uh, you may think, what? Uh, You may think it's not needed. I think it's totally needed. I think we're so confused and becoming more confused as a society that this is an important topic. And the topic is, what does it mean to be human? Any of you think we got that down? No, we really, really don't. Uh, We've been distorting that for quite a while. And um, what I want to do today is get back to the proper definitions. Because as I share with you in week one, um, they've been redefining everything. You know, words have no meaning anymore. There's uh, no source for words anymore, no actual truth for them. There's no more absolutes. There's nothing like that. And so as I warn you every week, you know, teach your children well. So I want to go back to the proper definitions. I want to go back to uh, the Word of God way in the beginning, then jump to what Jesus said very quickly as an introduction. It says this in Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, first we see that God creates the universe, all therein. Now, that's a very important statement. Let's hold the thought. Jesus affirms it. And he adds something to the creation, within the creation of the universe. And it says this, And he answered, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 19, 4, and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, we're going to get into that male and female at the very end of this message. But here's what I want to point out about this. Um, God, it says in these two verses that he created the universe... Um, therefore, and he created us. Therefore, we as followers of Christ, we hold a Bible or Christian, and I'd rather say Bible because, you know, too many people say they're Christians and they got too many things you're saying incorrectly. We hold a biblical worldview, and that is that God created everything we see, and he created you, and he created me. Now, the world, or I should say the culture, or atheists, or naturalists, they'll say that, um, that no, that God did not create everything, that you and I were created by the universe. Now, think about that, and here's a statement that I like to use that I borrowed from somebody else from a couple years ago, but I say it a lot now, that they say that a mindless, unguided, through random processes, universe created you and me. Now, I don't buy that for a second. I choose the biblical worldview. Let me explain. 
uh, this time of year, and I go out at night to look at them because I just like looking at the stars and the planets. But we have a great opportunity right now to look up and see Mars in the night sky. It's brilliant. It's very, very big in the night sky. And we get to see Jupiter. Jupiter's big because usually Venus is always bright. And Venus is the brightest thing in the sky after the sun and the moon because it reflects so much, reflects clouds. So it reflects a lot of light from the sun. But you get to see Jupiter, very brilliant. You see Saturn next to it, smaller. And then you look way to your left and you, you see Mars. As I walk my dog at night and look up at those uh, planets, which are amazing to me, here's a thought I want you to have as you look up at them. I know those planets exist. Those planets don't know I exist. You mean, well, what's the big deal about that? Wait a minute. They say the universe created me. It doesn't even know I exist. And yet I know it exists. What does that tell me? That tells me that a God worldview is better than an atheistic worldview. That God created all things. That God made us of his highest creation. You know... I was on FaceTime with my granddaughter, Willa, and I said, book, book, and she knows what that means. She goes and gets one of her, you know, she has to push aside her million toys now and get some of her, you know, 20,000 books that she already has from all the relatives. And she brought one, and I was on FaceTime, and I, and I looked at it on FaceTime, and it said, God made me. I thought, I like that. See, teach your children well that God made you. Let me tell you why that's important. Because God gives a person identity and therefore gives them security. Therefore, that security and that identity is stable because God doesn't move. Why is that important? Because we live in a world right now where people, especially teenagers but, and grown-ups too, your identity and their identity and security wavers up and down uh, relating to how many likes or no likes they got that hour. And that's a dangerous place to be. See, teach your children well that God, God gives them identity, God gives them security, and that God created everything and created them. They're not some accident at all. Give them the biblical world view that they know the universe exists, but the universe doesn't know that they exist. Now, Think about this. And what I'm saying is we're different than the animals, even though the atheist scientists say that, no, we're all the same animals. We're just one rung up the ladder on them. No, 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 no. Let me share with you something that happened to me, um, I think it was about maybe a month ago now, and it was like, I just had a giggle. So I like these shows on TV like History Channel, Science Channel. I just like stuff like that. I have all my life. And I'm watching this show. It's called... What on earth? I don't know if you've ever seen the show. And what they do from a satellite way above the earth, they're finding these anomalies on planet earth and they're trying to figure out what is that thing? Well, there was this one where there was this anomaly in the Amazon rainforest. And so they send an archaeologist, scientist to go investigate it. He's going through the rainforest. He finally gets to the location. And, you know, of course, there's shrubbery everywhere, trees. It's overgrown. And he finds it. And it's walls. And you can see they're carved out rocks by humans. They're carved out steps. And he sees all this. He goes, this is evidence. This is exciting evidence of humans here. 
They were here to, they, they built this, they did this. And I sat back and I had a giggle. Let me tell you why. Because they find rocks in the Amazon rainforest carved out, yes, by humans, steps out of rocks carved out by humans. And they say, evidence of design. And yet they look up at the stars at night. They look at the balance and the fine-tuning of the universe. They look at the human body. And they say, oh, no, that was just, you know, random processes through an unguided, mindless universe. Are you kidding me? You sit there and say, those rocks, there's evidence of design. But you look at us and look at the universe and say, oh, I don't know about that. That was just random processes. No, 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 no. That's cultural quicksand. And that kind of quicksand will lead you and lead our children to not know who they are or even what they are. So today, I'm going to go after a topic that I've never gone after before that you may see, think is irrelevant, but I think it's so relevant. And that is, what does it mean to be human? But first, let's get into our key verses for the series. And they say this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What's Jesus saying? He's giving a, it's, it's beautifully stated. He says, look, Anyone who hears the words of God, this word of God, and acts on them, lives them out, the foundation of their life will be solid. So whenever the winds come and tribulation comes and the insanity of society comes, you will be stable, my friend. Your emotions won't go all over the place. Because some of us in this time, we're letting our emotions go everywhere. Jesus says you can be on the rock. Hear it, live it. Because if you don't, if you just hear it, because there's plenty of Christians just hear the word of God, but don't act on the word of God. Because if you don't act on it, just hear it. You're going to be all over the place. You'll be built on shifting sand and whatever comes this way or that way, whatever wind of this thought or that doctrine, this one, you'll be shifting everywhere. Whatever emotion comes into your heart and mind, you'll bend to that. You need to be led by the Spirit of God, not by your emotions. And these words are spirit and they are life. That's what Jesus said. So if you want a strong foundation in your life and to be solid, guess what? Hear it, read it, act on it. We have solidified or reduced those verses to a statement. And that is this. Foundations form futures. That's right. The foundation that we build on forms our future. Now... What does it mean to be human? Some of these will be short answers. Some will be long. And I'm going to take it from Scripture as I like to do all the time. So here we go. I think i got about five points. And the first one is this. Humans are curious and love exploration. You say, Jim, that's not news. Well, let me solidify it. Let me back it up. So if anybody ever asks, here we go. Genesis chapter 10, verse uh, 10, 11, chapter 2, verse 10, 11, uh, 12, 13, 14 says this. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah and became, 
where, where there is gold. Now it's telling you it flows way out there. There's gold down there. Somebody's gone down that river. Somebody's explored that. And the gold of the land is good. I don't know if I've ever heard of bad gold. The bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. Notice the exploration. They, somebody knows the whole thing around there. Uh, the name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is uh, Euphrates. Now, wh what, what are we bringing out here? Why does it tell us about rivers? Why does it bother to say these things and there's gold there, the gold is good? Why does it bother? It's telling us something because it's telling us that man is an adventurer. Man is an explorer. That's what you are because they've gone down these rivers. They've checked this out and down there there's this and down there there's that. You know, this last, um, <laughs> this last uh, backpacking trip, it happens all the time. And this, by the way, is the distinction between animals and humans. Let me explain we went backpacking this last summer. We were camped at this one lake, Cottonwood Trailheads, and we walked up into the Cottonwood Lakes chain. And there's about five lakes, I think. So we stayed at Second Lake. Um, and so they told us up at uh, Third Lake that there was a waterfall on the backside of it. Some of our guys had explored come back. So but one day, five of us went up there. Sure enough, on the backside... There was a beautiful waterfall. Man, we got some great pictures, guys in there. It was fantastic. I put my head in it, man. Cool, you know, wash my, my head out. It was amazing. And then once we left there, the five of us, now I'm an older guy. I'm on a bad knee right now, so I want to make sure I can walk out. And then they said, Nathan was my son. He was one of them. It was Daniel. It was Angel. And I can't remember who, I think Robert was with us. And, and they said, let's go, let's go climb up to the next lake and see what's up there. Now, when I was younger, even if I didn't have a bum knee, I'd have gone up. But this time I said, I just can't risk that on this knee. I got to make sure I can walk out with a 40-pound pack on. But they weren't satisfied just with that waterfall. They climbed up there to go see the next thing. And I waited down there like an old guy. <laughs> but here's the thing. What was it? It's curiosity, it's exploration, it's adventure. Have you ever read up on the explorers at all? Do you remember learning about these people? They're just like you and you're just like them. Think of you and your curiosity to explore things in your different field or, or the things that you do. I love exploring the scriptures. I like to go deeper and deeper into it. You know what? I could take my dog Max up there at that waterfall and everything else and he would just look at it and just sit there like, you know, okay, you're going to give me my treat or what? He wouldn't be curious at all about those things. There's a difference between uh, humans and animals. Teach your children well. Let their curiosity go and run wild to dig into these things. The second thing is this about humans. Humans work and gain satisfaction from that work. Now watch what Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says. It's one verse tucked in there, but watch. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. What has God just done? Put him in there to do some work. Here you go. This is your job. Let me tell you. There is dignity in all, listen, legitimate work. Not illegitimate work. Not unlawful work. There is dignity in all legitimate work. Isn't it great to work to continue to work, to save, to get ahead, isn't it? 
That's why jobs need to be created all the time. Because we need to work. It's just part of who we are. The blind man comes up to Jesus. He says, please, you know, give me my sight back. And Jesus does. Let me tell you something. Did Jesus just simply give him his eyesight back? And the answer is no. What did he give him back? He gave him back his life. Because you see, as a blind man, all he could do is be taken to a spot and beg all day. But as a person who could see, now he could actually go get a job and work again and support family and do the things, you know, and, and find success. That was huge. That's huge. Listen, listen, listen. Isn't, <clears throat> isn't it satisfying to come home from a hard day's work to a good, good meal? Doesn't food taste better? My gosh, I come home and I'm working. Olivia says, we're going to have tacos tonight. And I know what that means. It means deep fried tacos, ground beef, the way I like them. It's her homemade hot sauce, hats, chilies, and there's guacamole she makes. And my mouth is watering. And I know there's a Coca-Cola waiting for me. I can't wait. It just tastes better when you've been working. That's why jobs always have to be created in America. We are not helping by not creating jobs. We're not helping by just giving, giving, giving things away. There's no dignity in that. And yes, I thank God for safety nets in America. I've visited third world countries where there are no safety nets. We live in a great country. Thank God. And do I believe we need to do more for our veterans from, from wars and things? Absolutely I do with everything I've got. But we do need to keep creating jobs. That's an important one. I could go off on that, but I just won't, okay? Now, the third thing is this. Humans are given a moral choice. Now, this is big. Look at verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But, oh, wait a minute, but, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Ah, okay. They're given a moral choice. This is right and this is wrong. Just briefly, let me say this before I get into this. You know what? Love, the love of God, true love, is impossible without choice. That answers all the dilemmas that people, problems they have with Genesis chapter 3. But love is impossible without choice. I won't go into that here because that'd take a long time to really explore and to give evidence of, and it's a fun topic. Now, here's what I'm saying, and here's what I'm not, this is what this is saying. We have a moral lawgiver. His name is God. He created us to be moral beings, and he gave us moral choices of right and wrong. Let me explain why that's important to know as a human. We live in the day of self-driven cars. Now, I don't trust them. I want my hands on the wheel. I'm operating the gas. I'm operating the brakes. I'm not doing the self-driven car. You do it, hey, okay, but don't, don't drive around me, okay? <laughs> but think about self-driven cars. They've been programmed by a lawgiver, have they not? The lawgiver has programmed 
its laws into that system to operate within the laws of the freeways, the highways, and the streets. Has it not? Has it not? That's right. If there's a failure in that programming, it's going to end up in a series of bad wrecks. Because it's ignoring what the lawgiver has programmed into it. You catch my drift now? God has made us moral beings. And there are moral laws. And the culture is rejecting the moral laws. And now we're seeing a series of wrecks after wrecks after wrecks of lives. Because they're ignoring the programming of God. We are violating all the, 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 um, the moral laws of a civil society. We're seeing these things now. <clears throat> and why? Depravity. Romans chapter 1, which we'll see in the fifth week of this message, when humans play God. But depravity. You know, the word depravity is an interesting word. It's the idea of a precious metal but it's no good because it has so much impurity in it. See, we were created as precious before God. And we've allowed all the impurities to come and infiltrate our thinking. And we've rejected God and redefined this and redefined that. And now there is no more absolute. There are no moral codes. It's whatever goes. Whatever's right for you is not right for me. Not right for me. Right for you. Whatever you feel like. And we're seeing wrecks all over the place. There's a difference between animals and humans. Humans are created by a moral lawgiver God, and we're created morally to obey the moral laws of God. Here's what troubles me and should trouble you. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. This is Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. Now think about that. If you know the right thing and you don't do it, you're violating the moral code of God and you're, in for, you're, hit, you're, you're incurring wrecks. But then watch what Jesus tells the religious people because they're all mad at him. In John chapter 9, in verse 40 and 41, it says this. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? <laughs> Jesus said to them, great statement, here it comes. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What's he saying? What are both of us saying? Take responsibility for your actions. There's something troubling me, and it should trouble you because it's so unscriptural. I'm going to show it to you right now in this cultural quicksand. People are out there, and they're destroying other people's businesses and looting and all these things. And I hear dialogue from highly educated people that say, and they've said it, I've heard it too many times, that those people doing that, they're not responsible. That, no, they were, they were motivated to do that. It's not their fault. 
When I hear that, my biblical antennas go up. You know what that's? It's like saying this. Listen to me out there. Get off the cultural quicksand and get back on the solid rock. You know what it's like saying? It's like saying that when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, you know, God was wrong. It's not their fault. They're not responsible. It was that serpent who motivated them. Did you hear what I said? Christian, follower of Christ. When we violate law, we're responsible. And we, we incur the wrecks of our life. Listen, foundations form futures. If you catch anything from this message, just let me, say, let me recap two of the points I've already made so far, and that's this. Hard work and obey the laws and you achieve success. Teach your children well. Teach your children well. It's just that simple. Now, number four, and that is this. I like this one a lot. Um, Humans see and enjoy beauty. Humans see and enjoy beauty. Look at Genesis 3 where Eve is being tempted with the fruit. Watch what, watch what it says in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Isn't that interesting, the way it describes it? And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Adam's standing right next to her. He has said nothing, nothing. Isn't that crazy? We're not going to go down that road, though. Now, here's where we're going to go down. <clears throat> Eve saw the fruit, and she's, that's, that fruit has, it's beautiful, and she could appreciate before she ever tasted it, she could appreciate the beauty of the fruit. That's a cool thing about humans. But let me give you a quick side balance. <clears throat> beauty without restraint will destroy us. Oh, it will, because you'll go into it further, further, further without restraint. Beauty without restraint will destroy us. So be careful. It destroyed her. Now, we see and appreciate beauty. Let me explain the difference between humans and animals. Now, let's say I take one of the great works of art in, in history. I have, uh, say I take the Mona Lisa. And I set it there at, at, at floor level at my home. And I get my dog, Max, who is highly intellectual, my dog, Max. He's, just, he's way up there on the dog IQ scale. <laughs> and I sit him down next to me. And I say, Max, we're going to look at the Mona Lisa. And I'm looking at it like, man, this is incredible what this person painted. They just, everything, I would just be, and Max, he just turns away and goes and kind of sniffs himself and just lays down his bed. He could care less. Humans enjoy beauty. You know, we have people in our church who take amazing pictures. They enjoy beauty. I'm, I'm always amazed at what, what, what they can catch when they see things and take pictures. It's incredible how we can see beauty, enjoy beauty, and appreciate beauty. That makes you human. That's a human thing. Now, let me show you something to show you the difference between man and animals and appreciation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, 25, and 26, watch this. It says... <clears throat> Then, this is day six of creation. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Everything produces after its kind. 
cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Oh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let us let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Adam got confused. He didn't rule over that creeping thing, that serpent. But let me show you what I want to bring out here. <clears throat> the first time in those three verses it says, then God said, and he makes the animals. He says it the first time. But in that, in that same day six, then, God, then it says, then God said. Then God said something again. He's making distinction. The first time he makes animals, the second time he makes humans. Why does he do that on day six? Why say it twice? Then God said, let's make the animals. Boom, they're made. Then God said, let's make man in our image. Boom, he makes man in his own image. Why? He's making distinction between humans and animals. We're not part of this animal kingdom. You know, one of the most um, uh, brilliant distinctions of this, if you ever have read the book of Daniel, you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he has experience with God through Daniel. He knows that God is God. And he's warned that you better give God the glory. And he doesn't. Instead, he makes himself God. And he's out there one year later after he's been warned, saying, look at everything I've created. Look what I've done. Look at this. And God strikes him down. And what happens? He takes his reason away from him. And he becomes an animal out in the field. There's a distinction between the two. An unreasoning animal versus a reasoning human. We are not part of the animal kingdom. What it means to be human is we're God's highest creation. Teach your children well. Because they're getting it from every direction now. Okay. Point five. Here we go. Humans have been created male and female. Now listen to everything I'm going to say, please, before you possibly make a judgment. We read earlier already that uh, God created the male and female. Jesus made the statement himself um, when he says it in Matthew 19, 4. You know, this used to be accepted. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. I've been reading and watching now for quite a while, and they say things like, um, oh, it was your gender assigned at birth. Please don't tune me out, somebody out there right now. Just listen to me. It's coming at our kids from every angle. I mean, there's commercials, specific, specifically one right now, I would not let my grandkids watch. In fact, I mute it every time it's on or I change it because it, it is, it is taking us so far away from who we are. <clears throat> They're teaching our kids at a young age that you were assigned this gender, you can choose whatever gender you want. You should not be opening up kids' minds to such things first off. This is a sensitive subject, and it would take a long time to really dialogue. And it, 
And I know I could be possibly speaking with somebody out there, and this is where I want to go, that you could be struggling in this area. I'm not trying to be insensitive to you at all. Listen. I have talked with people I know, friends whose, they have relatives who've, the changing of gender. You know, one person asked me, how does this get into their head? Well, the enemy's very creative, but let me give you a biblical perspective. When Adam and Eve sin, the first thing they do is what? They reject themselves. They reject God's creation. And they take on a new image in the form of fig leaves. Did you hear what I said? They reject who they are, what God has created, and they take on a new image in the form of fig leaves. That's what fallen humans are capable of and do. And Satan is such a master at all these little devices and ways to get into the mind to distort the image of God in humans. Now, somebody out there might be thinking, Jim, but I'm trapped in a body that doesn't feel right. Let me, let me try to go down that road to tell you that you're not unique. Jesus is God. He's been God from eternity. He's never been created. He always was. Lives in, he lived in a perfect heaven with his Father, with the Spirit of God. He comes down and takes a, a human body Do you think that body felt right to him? Being pulled at and tugged at by every temptation to violate the moral code of God? No. That body didn't feel right to him. He was fighting temptation off left and right to violate the moral code of God. Every one of us on this planet, every one of us, don't we at times feel like we're trapped inside this body that wants to violate the moral code of God? Some things just don't feel right in us. That we want to, it's being pulled at us to violate God's highest purpose. That's everybody on the planet, including Christians, including pastors, every one of us. I'm not lessening what you feel. I'm just trying to show you that you're not unique in that. Everybody feels that to a certain point because we're living in fallen nature and there are tugs on every one of us to violate the moral code of God. What I would encourage is this. Just listen to me as I get near the end. I would encourage you to live God's highest purpose. Now let me start to explain that. <clears throat> You're not here by accident. You're here by design. The designer made you. And maybe you feel like, well, I don't see him. I, I don't know where he's at. Well, in, in Christianity, in the gospel, 
We get the answers to all those things that we struggle with. Here it goes. Here's the gospel. We were designed by God. We are created in His image. Every one of us. Then we all rebelled against God. We chose our own way. And if you're honest, and if I'm honest, and if every human is honest on this planet, the result of that was deep down in our gut, deep down in our gut, we feel like something is wrong. Something's wrong in this world. Something's off with our lives. We have fallen. Something's missing. Something's missing. See, we were created in the image of God, and we lost that in Genesis 3, and that's why we struggle with all these things. He tricks Eve, the serpent tricks Eve, into choosing a way contrary to God. And he tricks Eve saying, violate God's moral, uh, highest moral code. And, and she does. He promises an a, a, a upward movement, and it's a downward spiral. It's a step down. And that's where we all are, and where some of us were, that something's not right in this world. We feel it. So what does that mean, preacher? It means this. It means we needed someone to come. To change who we are. To change that nature inside of us that feels like something's wrong and the world is pulling in this body at times. It's pulling us to take us away but we were intended to be God's highest purpose. And if you've ever read in the New Testament, Paul even shares about the struggle. In Romans 7, he says, Look, the things I don't want to do, I, I start doing and the things that I want to do, I don't do. He's telling you there's a struggle inside that physical body. He will tell you later there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. This body at times doesn't feel right. It's pulling at us. The same way it's pulling at you. So Jesus comes along. Because we're in trouble. And he takes all of our bad. Everything bad about, and he goes to that cross. And he pays the price. And he conquers everything. Everything that has robbed us of who we are. Rises from the dead and he says, embrace the design I have for you. Okay. Last thought. If you're listening to this and you're struggling in this area, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. I'm trying to be sensitive to you. But here's the question. The question is not what I am. That's the wrong question. The question is whose am I? Who do I belong to? Who created me? That's the right question. And that's God. And if you turn fully to God, I mean fully to God, and we all have tugs against us, everyone, me, you, we all have it in this body. He's going to teach you who you are. And if you respond to his words and act upon them, who you are, all the what's, all the what's, will be answered. And Jesus, through the Spirit of God, will give you the power 
to live out who you are and what you are designed to be in God's purpose in this world. Teach your children well. Teach your children well. Now, I hope that made sense. If there's anybody out there that's never placed their faith in Christ, you've never made Jesus your Lord and your Savior. I remember being in that place. I remember being a young man in that place. I didn't want Jesus. I sure didn't want him. But one night I made the decision to put my faith in him and to trust him with my life. And boy, did he teach me who I was and continues to teach me who I was. And that translates into what I, am, what I do, who I am, the highest purpose of God. He died on the cross for you, Jesus did. Took all the bad. He embraced you and I at our worst. Shed his blood to forgive us of all that bad, of all that sin. And he rises from the dead to give us life. And I want to point you to him as someone pointed me to him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Messiah, Savior, God, and Lord, then I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. And if you backslid, you got out there in the culture, started living according to your way, you didn't pay attention to the moral code anymore, to the programming, and you became a a self-driven car and all the wrecks along the way and it's time to come back? Great. So I'm going to say this prayer. And those of you putting your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicating your life, I'm going to say it slowly and in blocks. If you're with people around you and you feel funny saying it out loud, say it in your head. But afterwards, tell them that you said that prayer in your head. As you say it, just put your faith in Jesus as God, Savior, Lord, and your Messiah. The only one who can save you and the only one who can teach you who you really are. So here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for not giving up on me, for taking my place on that cross for taking all the bad of my life, all my sins and failures upon your body, for shedding your blood to forgive me of all of it, to give me a fresh start, forgive me of my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Now, I'm going to pray for you. So I would ask you to just close your eyes, bow your head, if you would. Jesus, this is a glorious moment for somebody out there, for people out there. This is the moment where everything changes, where they're translated from death into life, from darkness into light. It's my hope and prayer that they would dive into this word of God, that the people around them would show them the way. That they would begin reading regularly, daily, just a little bit every day, stay in the New Testament, 
the Gospels, learn about Jesus. And we thank you that all of heaven rejoices. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving people. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen. Well, we're so happy if you prayed that prayer. Um, and like I said before, talk to the people around you. Have them guide you because obviously we're not quite open yet, but we're getting there. And uh, we're just so delighted that you tuned in with us. You can share this with anyone you want to. Remember, still have outdoor service 630 tonight. So God bless you. We'll see you later. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.